Welcome to City Harvest Sermon Podcast. We've got Pastor Kong and Pastor Sun this week, touching on the topic of relationships. Every marriage is a union of two very different and imperfect people. And we bring into it our various opinions, our values, our different family backgrounds, our upbringings, and our personality quirks, you know, and, and we are very different people. No two people in the whole world can agree on everything all the time. It's just impossible. I'm an introvert. San is an extrovert. I soon realized after we got married, I pressed the toothpaste from the end up, but she presses from the middle and anywhere. Uh, after I used the wash basin, it's a wash basin, naturally it is wet, and the floor around it will also be wet. But for Sun, she can't stand wetness. Everything has to be dry. <laughs> but for me, the basin and the floor of the toilet, it's all right to be wet. It's meant to be wet. Uh, while you're using it. After that, you should dry it up. Okay. I, I, <laughs> I want you to know, before the service today, before I left the house, I use it and I dried the floor. Yeah, but the basin... It's still wet. Okay, right. <laughs> so I dry it up after you. You did, huh? I did. Yeah, okay. <laughs> in every marriage, there will be conflicts and disputes. Even in very happy marriages, both husband and wife must cope with many marital issues. Some conflicts are minor irritants, you know, uh, just mundane annoyances, just things that will annoy you. But others can be overwhelmingly complex, and can get very intense, and can lead to all-out wars, all-out fights. If we know what we are fighting about, we can better cope with those arguments and those fights, and we can keep our marriage happy. Now, I know many of you here are married, but many of you here are also single. But as what pastor and son have said over the various weeks, is that relationship principles are universal. And we are pitching it at the most complex, that is the marriage relationship. If it works for marriage relationships, it'll work for any relationship, any friendship. Your friendship with your schoolmates, your friendship with your colleagues, your relationship between you and your bosses or your subordinates, the relationship between parents and children. So keep that in mind. Don't switch off and say, well, pastor is talking about Married people, it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with you. So you got to know, right? Now, all conflicts in marriage fall into two types. So listen carefully, two types. Those that can be resolved, those that can be solved, and those that cannot be resolved. They are perpetual. They will forever be part of our lives. So please keep that in mind. Couples have perpetual problems, and I want to talk a little bit about that today, where we are arguing over the same issues year after year, again and again. We may have grown older, our body shapes may have changed, we may have become more established in life, but we are still having the same arguments. For example, the wife wants to have a baby, but the husband feels that he's not ready and he doesn't know when he will be ready. Or the husband wants to have sex more frequently than the wife who wants to have sex. Or maybe the wife thinks that the husband is too critical of the son, but he thinks that his is the right approach. So if there's a way to deal with these perpetual insolvable problems, that they don't overwhelm you, don't overwhelm us, and we have a sense of humor about it, we can still have a very happy marriage. Now, do Sun and I get into fights? We've been married for 24 years. Of course we do. But most of the arguments and fights are usually over ministry, over serving the Lord, especially in this church. Before I became a pastor, I was a missionary. So I feel very passionate about church planting. I feel passionate about preaching the gospel and fulfilling the Great Commission all around the world. On the other hand, my wife's son, as a woman with a strong motherhood instinct, she's more passionate about the local church, about keeping our base strong. So she wants to ensure the needs of our congregation is 
amply and properly met before we focus on what's happening overseas. And she wants all the pastors to be around to meet all the needs as much as possible. It doesn't mean I don't want to have a strong base. Neither does it mean that Sun is not interested in missions or the Great Commission around the world. Remember, she was sent out by our church for eight years as an overseas missionary. Yeah. But we have differences in ministry philosophy here. Kong feels that even if a person is not fully ready to be sent, and even if he's going, will impact our congregation for a season, we should still trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. You know, and send him out into missions. But I feel that by doing that, we are being unfair to the overseas missions work. And I also feel that, you know, we are being irresponsible to our own local church. So we have difference in our ministry approach for the past 26 years. 26 years as a church. So we've been arguing over this. Whenever we talk about missions budget, whenever we talk about mission work, or where do we focus and allocate our time, we always fight about this. So one time in the church office, at a time we were meeting at uh, Mackenzie Road, so that's many years back, and uh, we were arguing about this mission budget. I still remember. We were in a room discussing about this with the rest of the staff. So our discussion became an argument and it became louder and louder and more and more intense because both of us are very, you know, strong leader. So we you know, were pushing... Yeah. We were pushing our points strongly across. Strong with anointing. So even arguments are anointed, you know. So when she pushes back, I push my view, you know, and, and we are strong. But we didn't notice that one by one, our staff actually started leaving the room. So Kong and I, we were and still are great friends. So at the end, we actually came up with a very happy compromise we laughed over our exchanges. Good friends know how to, you know, not to let the fight get in the way of the friendship, right? So we are like, you know, we settle, we shake hands, we are happy, and then we look around, we realize that we are the only two left in the room. So we held hand, happily emerged out of our room, trying to look for the rest of the staff, and we couldn't find them in the office. Guess what? We found them behind the reception counter praying for us. Actually, they, Seriously. Actually, they were hiding. They were all on their knees praying for us behind the reception counter. And then I remembered, you know, I, I remember that pastor asked the staff and said, okay, guys, are you ready? Are we ready to go for dinner? And one of them looked at him and said, pastor, the hurricane passed already. Over. The both of you can eat together. You know, and, and we were shocked that it has impacted them <laughs> so greatly. So what I'm trying to say is that this is a perpetual insolvable problem for us. Because until today, whenever we come to this topic, this subject, we still argue about it. That's why Aris is laughing, right? Because he knows. But we don't allow this to overwhelm us. And we keep a sense of humor over it. And for sure, our marriage is happy and strong. Yeah. And the truth is, we don't have to resolve all our perpetual problems in order for our marriage to thrive. Let me say that again. There will be perpetual insolvable problems and you don't have to solve all your major marriage conflicts in order for you to have a happy marriage. But when a perpetual problem becomes serious and critical to the survival of the marriage, all right? This is not just something you can argue and then laugh it off. You can't ignore it any longer. Then you got to deal with it. So the question here is this. How do we know a perpetual problem has to be dealt with that you cannot just ignore it, you can't laugh it off, you can just sweep it under the carpet? Well, number one, whenever we fight, we feel rejected by our partner there is a sense of rejection. Number two, we condemn each other during conversations. That means all of a sudden, you know, there, there's a lot of condemning, a lot of accusing, personal attack on characters. Number three, we are unwilling to compromise. So there's no compromise whatsoever. It's my way or the highway. Number four, we disengage from each other 
emotionally. So these perpetual problems, they are causing a problem. We are, in, in our marriage, we are feeling further and further apart. Now, how to cope with unsolvable, perpetual problems that don't seem to go away? How do we deal with them? We'll talk about this next week. <laughs> Tonight, we want to talk about an easier one. How to deal with solvable problems. How to deal with problems we can solve. Solvable problems are less painful, less gut-wrenching, less intense than the perpetual unsolvable ones. This is because when we argue over a solvable problem, our focus is only on the particular dilemma or situation. There are no deeper, hidden issues in our disputes. Therefore, we must do our best to solve our solvable problems head-on. All right, you got solvable problem, you must solve it. You got to solve it. And let me explain why. Give you an example, just an example. Assuming I'm a husband who always drives very fast. Assuming that's the case. As you can see from the back of the screen, I'm not, okay? I'm a slow driver. But assuming I drive very fast. So one time I'm driving... Kong, slow down. You're driving too fast again. Look, I'm not driving fast. You're overreacting. You're always like that. You've got to trust my driving. But why can't you just drive a little bit slower so that I'm not so nervous sitting beside you in the car? You know, I mean, look out, Kong. The stop. car in front of you. Stop yelling stopping. at me. You're making me nervous. I'm not yelling. You know what? If you keep on yelling, I'm going to have an accident. I just think that you're so selfish. You don't care that you get the two of us killed. You know what's your problem? You just don't trust me. You never trust me. I don't trust you, huh? You know what? I don't think that you care about me. I don't think that you care whether I'm dead or alive. <laughs> so, <laughs> so each time we squabble, we both feel more frustrated, hurt, entrenched in our position. What's our position, right? I'm right, you are wrong. You don't trust me, and for her, I didn't care about her. So we vilify and attack each other. We condemn one another. Son accuses me of being uncaring. I'm accusing her of being untrusting. So this very simple solvable problem, just don't drive so fast, right? You notice it has become a perpetual problem that wouldn't go away because beneath it, there's a deeper conflict. The big hidden issue underneath is an issue of love, trust, security. As long as there are hidden issues remaining, the conflict between husband and wife will never go away because there's a deeper hidden issue. Now, we can have the same situation, but it is a solvable problem. So, uh, Assuming again, I'm driving fast. Come, slow down. You're driving too fast again. I have to speed, dear, because you're always taking too long to get ready to go to work. If I don't speed, we'll both be late. Too long? I'm taking long because you are the one that's staying in the bathroom forever. And guess what? After the breakfast, you never help to clean up. You just go to the car park, sit in your car and wait for me and make me really panicky. Who is the one that clean up after you? Okay. Every workday starts with accusations and counter-accusations about shower time and breakfast chores. Now, by the time we get to the office, I'm fuming. I'm upset because, you know, you're accusing me and, and son is fighting back tears. But this is a solvable problem. Now, notice this is only a problem when it's a workday. When you got to get to work in the same car. Unlike the earlier scenario, we didn't vilify each other. I, I didn't scream at her for not trusting me. She didn't scream at me for not caring about her. There was no big underlying issue behind our fight or our argument. So we could easily find a compromise. I mean, it can be solved. I could wake up 15 minutes, half an hour earlier. If I'm a long toilet user... I could just wake up earlier. That would solve the problem. Or son could shower first. Right? I mean, that could solve the problem too. 
Or I could help out after I finish eating breakfast, help out with the dishes so that we are able to get out of the house a little faster. However, if we do not work on this solvable problem, you can imagine this can quickly escalate into something that will cause a deepening of the conflict and then it will become a perpetual unsolvable problem. So the goal in solving solvable problems is to ensure that we don't end up in a screaming match or angry silence. We must deal with them with good manners and respect. Yes, it's that easy. Good manners and respect. Everybody say good manners. Good manners. Say respect. Respect. Turn to your neighbor on your left and right and say, I will have good manners and I will respect you. Yeah. The truth is, we don't need training to do this. We already have the skills. We all have the skills. Unfortunately, the more intimate a relationship is, the more we don't use these skills. We just don't show our spouse the same good manners and respect that we offer our friends and acquaintances. For example, it's raining, and then you left your umbrellas behind. I mean, what, what was, what's the right thing that I would do? I would say, hey, wait a minute. Here, this is your umbrella. You have forgotten to take it. There you go, right? We'll say that. We don't say, what's wrong with you? Simple thing like an umbrella and you can't even remember? What, are you a dummy or something? Who am I? Am I your servant picking up after you? What's wrong with you? Now, we don't talk like this to a friend, but we talk like this to our spouse, to our loved ones. We are usually sensitive to the feelings of our friends and our acquaintances, but not those we are intimate with. For example, you know, a friend came over and um, he accidentally spilled a glass of wine over your table. And the immediate reaction would be, oh, it's okay, it's okay, don't worry. Would you like another glass of wine? But if it's our spouse, ayo! Do you know this is my most precious tablecloth? I can't trust you for anything, is it? This is my, my, my most precious tablecloth, Kong. <laughs> So, you know, we are just asking you, church, to treat your spouse no more than how you treat a friend or acquaintance. Good manners and respect. Good manners and respect. It's as simple as that, right? Good manners. Everybody say good manners. Good manners. Say respect. Respect. Especially when our spouse is the person who has vowed to share his or her life and his love with us till death do us part, right? And we always say that our spouse is our best friend. So why is it so difficult to treat them with good manners and respect? And as a Christian, God has equipped us to handle every pressure, stress, and conflict in a loving, caring manner. John 13 verse 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. We learn from the Word of God that Jesus wants us to love one another, especially our spouse. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, Jesus tells us that He has empowered us to do so. He has equipped us. Because in verse 5, it says, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given to us. The Holy Spirit has poured out the love of God in our heart, especially for us to love our spouse. How many of you have the Holy Spirit? Just wave your hands a little bit, right? I can't see you. You got the Holy Spirit, wave both hands and shout a little bit. So the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. And for us to love one another, we should have the skills and the ability and the anointing and the equipment to actually do it. We are equipped to love. We are equipped for good manners. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 to verse 5. Can we all say this together? Okay, let's all read together starting now. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. But often in the heat of an argument, in the heat of a quarrel, we forget what we have learned about love in the Bible. Everything that we believe about love we throw these verses out of the window. But when it comes to our friends and our cell groups, our acquaintances, we demonstrate this kind of love easily. We are patient. We are kind. 
we are understanding, especially to the non-Christians, we are trying to win to Christ while witnessing too. But then when it's our own husband and wife, we do the exact opposite. We become very impatient. We are unkind. We are hurtful in our words. We become very sarcastic with our remarks. We think we're more right. And our husband and our wife are dead wrong. We are rude. And yet love is not supposed to be rude. Hush with our words and our tone. And we always remember past mistakes. We don't do that with our friends. We don't do that with the person we want to win to Christ who's always say he's going to come to church but never show up for any of our big days. But we keep on trying. We keep on reaching out. But yet, to our spouse, to our loved one, oh, we remember exactly the time, the day. We even can remember the, the vivid emotion we felt when we were let down. And we are so easily provoked. We lose our temper and we yell. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. How many of you ever yell when you're fighting with your husband or your wife? But let me share this from the Bible. Ephesians 4 verse 31. It says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now, notice the word clamor. Everybody say clamor. Clamor. Now, this is like, what, what, what is the meaning of the word clamor? It means yelling, screaming, shouting to God. When we shout at our loved ones, husband, wife, children, uh, uh, our parents, our friends, whatever. It is as sinful as bitterness and evil speaking. Just look in the verse, it's there. So when we are quarreling, we often don't give our, our partner, our spouse, a chance to fully express their views. We are rude, we interrupt, we make sarcastic remarks. Now let me say something about interruption or about rudeness. Proverbs 13 verse 3 says, self-control means controlling the tongue. A quick retort, that means a, a harsh remark, uh, interruption, uh, a snide, sarcastic criticism. A quick retort can ruin everything. Kong, why are you so insensitive? Why do you talk to me like that? I know I'm you are insensitive. tired. Wait, wait, wait. I, look, I know I'm you not, are tired. I'm not tired. But I'm tired Who said I'm tired? Who said I'm tired? Don't I never, shout at me. I'm not shouting. You, you are, are the one that started your first. Voice. No, I'm not. Don't be a bully. I'm not a bully. You're such a thug. I'm not. How dare you say I'm a thug? <laughs> Can I tell you a little secret? When we were going through this sermon, the first time we did it, I actually have tears in my eyes. <laughs> As Christians, we must always communicate in love. <laughs> I know some of you are in the state of shock. Right? It's, it's not rocket science. L-O-V-E, love. And the people closest to us, we must love the most. Colossians 4 verse 6. Let's all say this together out loud starting now. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each other. Let your speech be with grace. Loving speech. See, it's not difficult. Good manners. Yeah? Uh, respect. If you respect one another, you'll never interrupt. You'll never yell. You're never up the ante by raising your voice. In dealing with conflicts, marriage expert John Gottman talks about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now, you know in, in Revelation chapter 6, you have the four horsemen of the end of the world. Here are four things that will lead to the end of the world for your marriage. In my marriage. Four things that will almost definitely lead to a divorce. Number one, criticism. Criticism. And this is unfortunately overwhelmingly done by women. Because, because. Because as women, we are 
more interested to get to the bottom of an issue. We want to resolve it. Yeah. Number two, contempt. This by being mean, disrespectful, condemning, yelling. Like for example, if you don't behave properly with good manners in a court, they will say contempt of court and you can get thrown to jail. So when we throw away good manners and respect, we are behaving in a contemptuous fashion. Number three, defensiveness. Number four, stonewalling. That means refusing to cooperate, to communicate. You stonewall, right? And, and unfortunately, this is overwhelmingly done by men. Men will just stonewall. So we are slam the door, we take a walk, we go for a drive, we go to sleep, we don't want to confront. You want to play this with me? I'm not going to play with you. I refuse to cooperate. I don't want to solve the problem. So, example. Son, I have to work late again on Thursday. Thursday? Kong, I told you my mom is coming on Friday. I'm counting on you to help me to clean up the house and also get the guest room ready. I'm just so upset with you, Kong. You know, you're always like that. You only care about yourself. I'm so irritated. You know, everybody thinks that you're so good for goodness sake. You can't even remember something so simple that my mom is coming on Friday. So why can't you reschedule your work? You're upset with me for forgetting? Yep. Haven't you remember I have this big project that's being due already? There's no way I can change my schedule. All right, talking about forgetting. Tell you what, I now have to work on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Happy? I got to work all week. If the four horsemen, criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling are constantly galloping to your marriage, showing up, one or both spouses will feel overwhelmed emotionally. And you'll feel overwhelmed psychologically, physically. After a while, why even fight? So you begin to have cold war. And the emotional distance will widen. We don't want to confront the issue. You do your thing, I do mine. You live your life, I live my life. And while both are married, you'll feel absolute loneliness. And if nothing positive happens, divorce is inevitable. It will happen. And the truth here is this, a very important principle. Most couples divorce when they have given up on their friendship. They don't divorce over adultery. They don't divorce over other stuff. They divorce when they have given up on their friendship. You are not my best friend. We can never be friends. So what's the point of living together? Let's go our separate ways. So today we want to talk about the five steps to resolving solvable problems. Five steps. All right. The first step is soften our startup. Soften our startup. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So when dealing with conflicts in any kind of relationship, we can complain about the problems, but just don't attack the person. And I'm not talking about us being diplomatic and fake, but avoid criticism, avoid criticizing, avoid contempt, avoid demeaning and attacking the one that you are angry with. Remember, most discussions end on the same note that they begin. And this is an important point. How you begin a discussion is how you're going to end it. If you are very harsh in your discussion, it's going to end that way. Even though at the end, you may stop talking about it, but the, the unpleasantness will stay in your spirit. Yeah, so the conflict will not be resolved and it probably will get worse. But if we use a soft startup, guys, we complain, but we don't criticize, the discussion is likely to be productive. A harsh startup, listen to this, a harsh startup is a gradual buildup of complaints of frustration that have been repeatedly ignored. Can I say that again? Especially the wives, listen to me. A harsh startup is a gradual buildup of complaints of frustration that have been repeatedly ignored. And all the wives at this moment, we can say, uh-oh. <laughs> so you have a lot of low-level complaints. You have a lot of low-level irritation. 
And then it's building, it's building, it's building, it's building. And then finally, something breaks, the, the straw that breaks the camel's back. Kaboom! World War Three happens. So what is the solution? You know, if the one that tends to raise harsh issues is your spouse, make sure that he or she is feeling acknowledged, respected and loved by you. But if the one that tends to raise hard issues is us, it's you, we need to soften up, guys. Remember, if you go straight for the juggler, you will draw blood. So we need to soften up. And otherwise, the result will be total war or total retreat. And that's not what we're looking for. So how to have a soft startup? That means you're coming to a fight. You're upset. You're irritated. You're frustrated. How, okay, you're, you're angry. But you don't want to destroy the marriage. How do you do it? Number one, you got to be gentle. First of all, you got to be gentle. When we are angry with our spouse, and listen, we are human. We won't get angry. Does God get angry? He does. But it's okay to be angry and yet not sin. So when you are angry, take a deep breath and come down. Think through the issues carefully before bringing it up. By being gentle, the chances for us solving or resolving the conflict is much, much higher. Now, Jesus is a very strong man, a very powerful leader. Jesus is strong, powerful, but yet very gentle. In fact, this week, we are meditating on Matthew 11, verse 29. Jesus says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, look carefully. Jesus says what? I'm gentle. Can you be strong and gentle at the same time? Why not? Can you be powerful, anointed, a leader, CEO type, strong personality, and yet gentle? Why not? Jesus was like that. And Jesus' gentleness helps us to find rest in our souls. Similarly, our gentleness should help our soulmate to find rest in this relationship. The Bible says that it's God's gentleness that has made us great. Amen. Similarly, our gentleness will help our spouse, our husband, our wives to become great and to make the marriage a happy and a great one. If we are too angry at the moment to discuss an issue, then don't discuss it at all until you have come down, until your wife has come down. And let me tell you, even for us, sometimes we do get intense. And sometimes it's better for us to come down, take a break for a moment, before we even talk about it. Gentleness is the first thing you got to have if you want to have a soft startup. And the second step is don't use sweeping statements. There's nothing worse than sweeping statements or generalizations. Avoid words like never, always, all, everyone. Avoid loaded statements such as, you are never on time. You are always saying things like that. Always late. You are always so arrogant. You never spend time with me. Everyone thinks that you are like that. So do I. You never love me. I tell you, it's, it's every kind of relationship. How many of you, sometimes you get a little frustrated. Some people come to you and say, do you know everybody feels you need to do this or you need to do that? Everybody feels. And then you go and check. Actually, it's just two people. <laughs> but everybody. <laughs> so avoid sweeping statements. Complain, but don't blame. That's the third thing you got to do. Complain, but don't blame. Discuss what is right not who is right. Discuss what is wrong, not who is wrong. Make the focus our problem, not the person. Attack the problem all that you want, but don't become personal and attack your spouse, attack your husband or your wife. And the fourth step is be appreciative. Being thankful makes the atmosphere positive, and that's very important. So instead of saying, you never have time for me, dear, why don't you try saying, I really appreciate you working so hard to save up for a holiday, but we have not seen you a lot lately, and we really miss you. Why don't you try working 
lesser days, you know, and we can have a simpler holiday, dear. You we know, can? because the important thing is spending quality time as a so family. we can do that? Yes, of course. So, is it okay, you, me and Dave, we just take budget air and just... Yes, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, I've just been working too hard, yeah. So, it's important that... <laughs> Amen! Number five, make statements that start with I, rather than you. Because the moment you go, you, it sounds very accusatory. You, you, you. No, start with I, right? So that you don't run the risk in the heat of the moment. You start attacking your spouse. You start attacking your husband, your wife. Instead of saying, you are not listening to me. Why don't we say, I like it if you listen to me. Yeah? Instead of saying, you are careless with money. You, 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 you. Why don't we say, I think it's important that we save up some money. Instead of saying, you don't care about me. Why don't we say, I feel neglected. Yeah? Instead of saying, you don't love me. Why don't we say, I feel that I miss you. Can we spend more time together? And the sixth step is don't store things up. It's hard to be gentle and appreciative when we are bursting with frustration. So don't wait too long to bring up an issue, especially if you know that you're brewing inside your heart. I remember in 2010, after the Asia conference, I came back to Singapore because Kong and the rest were under investigation. And I remember that every day, I faced queries, complaints, and I had to counsel different ones that felt stumbled because of what happened. I remember that every night I came home feeling so drained and I couldn't talk to Kong about it because he was battling with depression at that time himself. So this whole episode, you know, of coming home late, drained, totally feel like there's nothing left in me, just went on for the next few years. And one night I remember it was a super long day and I was driving home and Dayan was with me at the back of the car. He was sleeping because it was, really, it was past midnight. It was really late. And I was driving home. I was feeling so drained and physically just so wiped out. And momentarily, I fell asleep behind the wheel. I, I dozed off and I hit straight into a curb. And I was woken up by the jerk and, and I was so thankful to God, you know, that Dayan and I, we were safe. So I remember that I quickly parked the car and I gave Kong a call from the car park because Kong was overseas at the time. So I called him and I said, dear, you won't believe it. You know, I, I banged a curb, but thank God I'm okay. But instead of sympathy, the first thing he said was, what? I told you, how many times have I told you not to drive when you are tired? Don't you care that Dayan was in the car with you? When I heard that accusation, everything just exploded in me. And I said, I don't care. Kong, what do you say? I don't care. If there's anything, I think I care too much. I care about you. I care about everyone that felt hurt because of the saga that we are going through. You know, and before he could explain, I off the phone. I went upstairs and he tried calling the house phone and I refused to pick it Please up. Please talk to me. I refused, talk to me. I refused to talk to him. You know, I know that my reaction was grossly out of proportion. But I blew up because of all my pent-up frustrations, because of all the complaints, I just felt like I was a trash bin where people just dumped their complaints of frustration. That was how I felt like. And the worst thing was I felt so lonely because I couldn't really share with Kong and he was not there for me emotionally. So that was a season, actually one of the lowest points of our marriage. Yeah, that what was I'm, one of the lowest uh, seasons in our lives together. Yeah. And what I'm trying to say is, guys, don't store things up. You know, I know that sometimes it's not convenient to talk about it. Sometimes we feel like, what's the point? I brought this up again. You know, I brought this up before. He's not going to listen or she's not going to listen. But don't store things up because you will explode eventually. And Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. When we allow anger to fester within us, we become bitter. And when we are bitter, we open doors for Satan, for the devil to take advantage of our conflicts. And the devil doesn't want us to have a happy marriage. The devil wants our marriage to be destroyed. The devil wants us to cheat on one another. 
The devil wants us to fall into temptation. And the devil, nothing will be, make the devil happier than for us to break off that, that relationship and to hate for divorce. So let's not give Satan a foothold. Let's not give an open door for him to come in. So make a decision. Son I, we kind of make a decision. We will not let the sun set on our anger. And this verse, very easy for me to remember because son's name is son. So, I, so we, we are trying not to go to sleep if there are things unresolved and unsettled in our relationship. So let's recap. How do we have a solved startup? That means how you start is how you're going to end, right? How you enter is how you're going to leave. Number one, be gentle. Number two, don't use sweeping statements. Number three, don't blame. Number four, be appreciative. Number five, start with I, not you. Number six, don't store things up. So when you have your critical mother-in-law that's coming, a harsh startup will be, I can't stand it when your mother comes over. But why don't try a softened alternative? Like, I'm worried that your mom will criticize my cooking and my parenting skills. And I'm worried that you won't back me up. You know, and when we want to do something fun together over the weekend, a harsh startup would be, you're such a workaholic. You know how to have fun, man? Why don't we try a softened startup? Like, I really want to spend some time and to have fun with you over the weekend. Why not we don't work? You know, and do something fun. I know of a great movie. Movie? Yeah, Star I like Wars. movies. Yeah, yeah, I love it. That we can go to. Yeah, I know how to have, have fun all. I know all. Oh. Uh. Ken, Ken, Ken. Ken lah, Ken lah, Ken lah. Ken ha. We can watch ha. <laughs> when we wish to save more money, right? A harsh startup would be, look how little we have in our bank account. I mean, look, you only know to spend, spend, spend. You have no idea how to manage money properly. That's harsh. Instead, why don't we try a softened alternative? I'm feeling anxious about our savings. You know what? Let's come up with a savings plan, okay? I mean, that is a much better way of talking. So the first thing, soften our startup. Number two, you got to make effective repair attempts. Remember we talked about repair attempts a while ago. You got to make effective repair attempts. Now, when we take driving lessons, the first thing you learn from your driving instructor is know how to step on the brakes, how to step on the brakes, how to stop the car. Putting on the brakes is a very important relationship skills, especially when you're handling marital conflicts, you're having a fight, you better know how to stop. Because one thing will lead to another, everything will start escalating. Before you know it, you reach a point of no return. And then it gets very, very hard. So these breaks are what we call repair attempts. So what are repair attempts? Breaks. Breaks in trying to damage control a discussion that's going disastrous. For example, we need to calm down. We can say, this is important to me. Can you try to understand? You see, you're trying to step the brakes. This is important to me. I know you don't like to hear about this, but this is important to me. Can you try to understand? Please help me to calm down. I, I, I know you're upset. I know I'm upset. Please try to help me to calm down. I need your support right now. Or as simple as, can we take a break? What are you doing? You're trying to press the brakes. Okay? So a repair attempt carries the message, stop, stop. This is getting out of hand. When an argument is beginning to cause stress and strain on our friendship, we must immediately know how to damage control. And this, what applies, says. this applies not just to married couples, to all our friends. When you are arguing with your parents, when your mom is telling you you better come back earlier and you're frustrated and you felt being controlled, you got to know. You got to know how to, how to damage control a situation, whether it's with your parents, our friends, our colleagues, worse still with your boss, if you don't want to get sacked. <laughs> the key factor we have shared with you before, whether a repair attempt is effective, is really depending on the state of the friendship. Even if the tone is bad, the tone of our spouse is bad, or the person is too hurt to say it right, we must listen to his or her words. Don't just listen to their tone. 
listen to their words and listen to the conversation, is there a repair attempt message? For example, they are feeling hurt or we are feeling hurt. Some of the repair attempt statements that we can use is, dear, I'm getting scared. Or, did I do something wrong? That hurt my feelings. So sometimes when son, like, I get really upset and I'm getting intense and son said, look, Kong, you're scaring me. Immediately, I know, oh, she's trying to press the brakes. She's trying to press the brakes. So I said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Let, let me try that again. I'm sorry, let me try that again. Okay? Yeah, and when you're feeling hurt, maybe you can say that, please, don't lecture me. Or when we are feeling sorry, this is important, you know, some of the statements we can say is, my reaction was too extreme. Sorry. That can be powerful. I can see my part in all this. Or, how can I make things better, dear? Or, let's try that over again. Now, can let, we? Me, let me say, it's, I want to be really realistic with you because when two people are arguing, even if they are Christians and they've been married for a long time, it doesn't mean that they're going to be angelic in their argue. It's like when two people are fighting, why are you so insensitive? Oh, I really don't know. I just very woke up. I'm so sorry. Oh, poor thing. Maybe you overwork. Yeah, and actually, <laughs> actually, I'm very angry, you know. Right now, I'm so angry with you. I can feel the intensity. Oh, you can really feel yeah. my anger? Listen, nobody argues like that. <laughs> right? Nobody argues like that. So, sometimes, and, and we are saying things that we experience. And sometimes, sometimes my son is, and I win an argument, okay, right? Sometimes I win an argument. Some will say, okay, I know my reaction is extreme. Sorry. <laughs> immediately, I, I can get it. I said, okay, okay. She's pressing the brakes now. Listen and, to the words, not the tone. Yeah, listen to the words. And of course, in my heart, I go, ooh, I win. <laughs> All right. When we see our spouse's point of view, and sometimes we are convinced they are right, but we're still angry, like, so what do we do? Okay, okay. You're starting to convince me. Okay, okay. Okay? Or, I never thought of it that way. Yeah? Or, I think your point of view makes sense. I see what you're talking about. Okay? All right. I see what you're talking about. Okay. Sometimes I say that, right? I see what you're talking about. All right. Okay? You, you're concerned about I'm doing too much missions. Okay, I see what you're talking about. Okay. Home base. Home, okay, okay. But this one, we got to go because people are dying there. In Kumamuto, we really got to go. This I agree. Okay, yes. amen. <laughs> when we, I won't argue with you. When we urgently want to stop, okay, I might be wrong here. I might be wrong here. Please stop. Or can we agree to disagree on this one? Can we agree to disagree? Or we're getting off track. Son, we're getting off track. You know, can we just take a break? Let's, let's come back to this again. We're getting off track. We're, we're talking about other things now. Or when we want to express appreciation, we argue, argued, we fought, we fought, and then suddenly, all right, your other partner is correct, and you have not been so kind, and, and really, your wife or your husband has been making a lot of sacrifices. What can you say? I know it isn't your fault. Honey, I know it isn't your fault. Thank you for trying to put up with me. Thank you for sacrificing. Or if you can say it, you know I love you. I really love you. Or one thing I admire you is that in spite of all the pressure, in spite of all the frustration, you kept on loving God, you kept on loving the family, and you kept on praying for me. Yeah, you, you can try to say that. Now, these phrases are emotional breaks to prevent a discussion from becoming a disaster, right? And, and when you don't know how to apply brakes, when you have, when you're fighting and there's no brakes, before you know it, let's separate, let's divorce. You can, you want to do this? I can do that. You want to fool around? I will fool around. And you're going to go nowhere. And sometimes even among Christians, when we do not have brakes, we go on a headlong collision to which there's no return. Next thing, number three, you got to keep calm. You got to keep calm. When we are overwhelmed emotionally, our heart rate escalates. Our heart starts beating faster. Now, it is medically proven if our heart beat per minute 
is beyond 100, we can't think straight anymore. If our, if, if our heart rate goes 100 BPM, uh, BPM, yeah, beats per minute, then all we can think about is, why are you picking on me? Why are you behaving like this? I don't like you like this right now. I don't have to take this anymore. So you can be totally wrong. The person may be totally right. But if your heart is beating, have you seen people getting angry? Husband and wife. <laughs> or your kids getting, <laughs> they huff and they puff and they're angry. They can't think straight. Their heart is beating too fast. Even if they want to say sorry, they can't say sorry. We need to calm down. Yep. You got to calm down. Turn to your neighbor and say, take a deep breath and calm down. Yeah. Otherwise, you can't process. You can't properly work through your frustrations. You have to calm down. It's a simple thing, but you have to do it. And the fourth step is compromise. We hear this word so often, but like it or not, the only solution to marriage problem, guys, is to find a compromise. And sometimes Christians, we are funny. We always, because we sing, no compromise. We are 100% for Jesus. In our marriage, no compromise. It's, now, I tell you, if you don't compromise in marriage, you're not going to have a happy marriage. That is true. If you seek things all our way, it is my way or the highway kind of attitude, there will never be an intimate and a loving relationship. Even when we are convinced that we are right, we must still seek to compromise. Even when I'm right, I compromise, dear. Thank you. Okay. So right. do I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Compromise church is not a bad word. It is giving up individual gains for the bigger gain of happiness in our marriage, guys. Compromise is not a bad word. Happy marriage equals to husband's happiness plus wife's happiness. So let's look at this. Simple equation. Happy marriage equals husband's happiness plus wife's happiness. It's not rocket science. If husband's happy, wife is unhappy, unhappy marriage. Yep. If husband unhappy, wife happy, unhappy marriage. Both got to be happy in order for you to enjoy heaven on earth. So now that Kong doesn't feel sleepy after an argument with me and that I don't have to pull away his blanket, yeah. but nonetheless, in the heat of an argument, Kong may still not feel very comfortable to address the issue. So what is our compromise? Our compromise is if he's not ready to talk about it, we will agree that we will talk about it by the end of the day. All right, so that's the compromise. I will have to talk about it. All right, but she doesn't need me to talk about it now if I'm not ready. But before she sleeps, we'll talk about it. So we both give up something, but so that we are able to have a happy marriage. I know son has OCD, all right? Everything got to be neat and perfect. Even this morning, <laughs> we're sitting together, going through our sermon, and then she saw the tissue box on the table, and she got to adjust it perfect in line. <laughs> the, the side of the box got to be in line with the side of the table. I'm thinking, it's just a tissue box, son. Just let it go. It makes <laughs> me feel calm. So she has OCD, all right? I can never change her. For the rest of her life, she's going to have OCD. And I cannot be OCD about her OCD or else I will go crazy, right? <laughs> so after I use the wash basin, I try my best to wipe the floor dry. I try my best. But most of the time, as you have heard, I still leave the basin wet. But for me, it's fine. That's a compromise because if he dries the floor, I'm very happy to dry the basin after him. All right, so we work on compromise. Now, compromise is only possible when we have followed the earlier three steps. Come on, talk to me. What are the earlier three steps? Number one, you have softened your startup. Number two, you have repaired your discussion. Number three, you're keeping calm. So softening our startup, right? Repairing our discussions, pressing the brakes, Keeping calm. For the compromise to work, you've got to become open-minded on your wife's or your husband's point of view. Yep. If you still either my way or no way, there is no compromise whatsoever. We don't have to agree with everything our spouse would say or believe, 
but we have to honestly be open to his or her points of view. Listen, if there is no open mind, there's no way you can resolve any conflict. There's really nothing magical about having a happy marriage. There's nothing really magical about finding a solution that we both can live with. So often, compromise is just a matter of talking through your differences and your preferences. But listen to this. Compromise can only work in an environment that is positive. Only in an environment that's positive. And for us Christians, we are equipped for this. We've been blessed for this. Because why? We talk about faith, hope, and love. Faith is very positive. Hope is very positive. Love is very... We worship. Worship is very positive. Everything we do, the good news is positive. We are made for happy marriages. Oh, come on. You believe that? Give God a big hand. Hallelujah. Amen. But that means one thing. We got to do everything we can to ensure that when we fight and we argue and we discuss, and there will be, because we are two different people, and we are human, and there will be disagreements. When we disagree, when we argue, when we have an intense conversation or discussion, we don't let it become overwhelmingly negative. We try our best to keep it as positive as possible because compromise can only work in a positive environment. And the last step of solving the solvable problems is become tolerant of each other's fault. Too often, a marriage gets bogged down by if only. If only my spouse is taller, if only my spouse is thinner, richer, fatter, smarter, neater, prettier, sexier, more understanding, then all our problems would vanish. As long as you have this attitude and this attitude prevails, conflicts will be very difficult to resolve, guys. Until we are willing to accept our spouse's flaws and idiosyncrasies, just like they have accepted ours, we won't be able to compromise successfully. Instead, we will be on a relentless campaign or crusade to alter our spouse to want to change them. You mean I have flaws? Are you telling everybody I have flaws? Yes. Somebody just say, yeah, thank you for your yes. encouragement. Yes. <laughs> I have idiosyncrasies. Mm-hmm. I have quirks. Mm-hmm. Name me one. <laughs> you really want me to? No. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell everybody, okay? We all have quirks. We all have quirks. You know what? Idiosyncrasies. I don't like fruits. Why are you so silent? It's it's not a sin, right? (laughs) Listen, if Adam and Eve is the same, there'll be no problem. (laughs) I don't like fruits. I don't take soup. Uh, That's my idiosyncrasies. Uh, You like to eat chili even when you're coughing. I eat chili even when I'm coughing. Hallelujah. The goal of solving a conflict is not about one person alone changing, guys. Right? It's about finding common ground and ways that we can live happily with each other. So what have we been talking about? We've been talking about solutions for problems that are solvable. So remember, what do you do? Soften your startup. Number one, all right? Soften your startup. Know when to press the brakes. Repair attempts. Don't let it escalate. Number three. Calm down. You, huh? calm down. Yeah, calm down. Calm down. Calm down. Number four. Compromise. compromise. All right? Win-win situation. Be open to your uh, partner's point of view. And then number five. Be tolerant of each other's quirks. And you just, you're not perfect. And your spouse is not perfect. Your friends are not perfect. Your parents are not perfect. Yeah? Your pastor is not perfect. Your church is not perfect. And I can tell you, those of you that came in today, the ashes are not perfect. And everybody say, Amen. Yeah, They're not perfect. So, you got to be able to accept that and tolerate that. Now, if compromise still seems like a distant goal, that means I tried my best. I, I, I softened my startup. I pressed the brakes. I calmed down. I, I compromise, I'm tolerant, but it is still not possible. Then maybe your problem is unsolvable. It's unsolvable. 
how to cope with unsolvable problems. Things that cannot be solved in your marriage. But you don't want a divorce. You don't want unhappiness in your marriage. Come back next week and we'll talk about this. Amen. Go ahead and give God a big hand. Praise God. Tell your neighbor, I said, next week will be 10 times better. Come on, tell him that right now. Amen. Son's getting nervous right now. Hallelujah. To be a loving Christian doesn't mean that we become spineless people with no opinions. Oh, if I got to be loving, I'd be a doormat for, for my husband and wife to trample upon. No, 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 no. The Bible never says love has no opinion. But love also means we don't have to be right all the time. Love reaches out and seeks to understand the other person. If we can do that, if we can walk in love as Jesus is love, then I tell you, we will have the happiest relationships, including the happiest marriage here in this lifetime. And all of God's people say, Amen. Let's just give God a big hand tonight. Amen. Amen. Are you blessed by this week's podcast? Tell us at connect at chc.org.sg.